Welcome to season five of the Life Giver Podcast, a place for honest conversation and hope that will breathe life back into your military or first responder marriage. This is your host, Corey Weathers. I'm a military spouse, clinician, and advocate, and I'm bringing topics that I hear from the service community and counseling room to the podcast, where we can face the challenges of this lifestyle together. Welcome to the Life Giver Podcast. This is your host, Corey Weathers. We are ending the parenting series. You know, every season I um, try to do a parenting series because um, a lot of you guys are parents. Some of you are not. I'm aware of that. But a lot of you are. And this lifestyle, military first responder lifestyle, can be pretty grueling, especially when it comes to trying to parent your kids and trying to figure out how to make good decisions for them. And, you know, I know that I, as a parent, carry a lot of stress and a lot of um, just concerns, um, depending on what's happening in the lifestyle of how my kids are doing and how do I be the best parent possible for them. And so I figure you guys are thinking about the same thing and concerned about the same thing. And so I try to do a parenting series every season on the podcast just to kind of address that, um, that part within you that's trying to do the best that you can to raise these tiny humans or maybe Maybe they're big humans and maybe encourage you a little bit, maybe calm down any fears or anxiety that you have um, because, you know, Matt and I joke sometimes, and I totally mean this as a joke, but sometimes we're like, we got tricked into this parenting thing. You know, you, you have this, you have children and you're like, we're going to have so much joy and fun being parents. And then your parents, and then it's like full of anxiety and fear and frustration and hope that you're getting it right. And a lot of parent guilt, a lot of parent guilt. So um, we definitely want to want to steer away from that. We want to address it. We want to, um, in a lot of ways, embrace it and not ignore it. So today is the last episode of the parenting series. I hope that you have enjoyed um, the last few episodes. It's It was so wonderful to interview Keith, uh, Miss Bagel from Leavenworth. Really, if you have not listened to that episode, it was so valuable and encouraging to me as a parent to hear the school system, the public school system from their perspective. You know, as a parent, especially one that had to kind of fight a lot of schools and kind of... Um, I'll try to get my kids um, assimilating into the school as soon as possible with medical issues and trying to match them with classes. And, you know, I always felt like I was kind of this advocate that was coming in to storm the castle and hope that they would listen. And most of the times I felt like I was walking in with just such desperation, hoping somebody would hear me that I think that I accidentally assumed that they didn't. And sometimes that was true. They didn't hear, or they didn't understand. And, and then I would be exhausted at the thought of having to educate them again. Um, and, you know, my interview with Keith was really wonderful in that um, you really get to see behind the curtain. You get to see a school system that's really working hard, that cares about our kids, that really wants them to succeed. And some of the ways that they are they are addressing those concerns internally as a public school. And so I think public school gets a bad rap sometimes. 
But it's really nice to hear those schools that are making a difference and trying and the superintendents that are making a difference as well. And Keith is actually making a difference you know, nationwide with a lot of um, schools and their districts nationwide. So it was such a fantastic interview with him. Um, Dr. Tommy Black, um, it was great to spend some time with him. Um, I think I actually made a mistake and called him a doctor. I think he's um, an LPC like I am, but you know, he's just, he's just so darn smart. You know, I just want to call him a doctor anyways. Um, just a good friend now. Um, he created the esteem app. I did an interview with him where I hope that you've tried the app. It's fantastic. Like it's just, you know, as a parent, you know, it's really hard to track what's going on with your child. And it seems like when things start to go wrong or when you need a doctor, it's always on the weekend and you have to wait till Monday. And then you take your kids to the doctor or maybe you take them to a counselor and they're they're acting just fine by then, right? Well, the Esteem app really helps you track that progress in real time. It also gives you some tools as a parent, which I think is lovely. Um, I think we, you know, really advocate for our kids and try to get the best help we can for our kids. But it's really important that you as parents parents get the help that you need in order to be a parent. And so sometimes that means that you go to counseling just so you can figure out how to be a better parent. I've done that. I hope that some of you guys would do that too. Um, some of the best counseling sessions that I have gone to where I'm the client have been just me sitting in the chair going, I don't know what to do. Please give me your perspective on how I could be better, um, how I can take a look at myself and see what's being triggered within me um, so that I'm not parenting out of my own triggers or my own story, my own narrative. And I just think that that's so helpful. So I hope you guys would be willing to do that. But the Esteem app does help you as a parent just as much as it helps you track what's going on behaviorally and medically with your child. So make sure you go back and listen to that episode as well. Um, And then of course, Colleen from Brave Nights, such like it just... Yes, it's a wonderful tool to have this amazing um, Sir William the bear that helps children with night terrors and helping them sleep through the night. But it was also just wonderful to talk to another mother um, of a military spouse, now a veteran spouse, who, you know, it just reminds me of a mentor back when my kids were really small, um, who said to me, you know, Corey, eventually they are going to sleep through the night. Eventually they're not going to wet their bed or their pants. Eventually going to brush their own teeth, you know, and it was such, it was so wonderful to have that mentor say that to me at the time, because it felt like I was just stuck in this black hole of, you know, toddlerville. (laughs) Those of you who are in that season know what that's like. And having a mentor just come on and say, it all works out. It's going to be okay. And here's a tool. So you don't have to feel like you have to do it by yourself. And so that interview ended up being so encouraging to me and just a lovely story. And I really enjoyed my time with Colleen, just from like one military spouse to another, one mom to another. It was really encouraging, and I hope you guys felt the same way. So today, what I'd like to do is address youth, uh, teens um, a little bit more just to kind of close up our parenting series. If you are not a parent, I hope that you would listen anyways to, to this series, to this episode, because you are going to be around parents of kids these age. And it's really good for you to kind of increase your empathy for that, but also to have a resource to give them when you see them struggling to just say, hey, I don't know how you feel, but I heard this episode and maybe it would be encouraging to you. And so I do not know everything there is 
um, to say or to parent on youth and teens. But I am going to give you a little bit of what I've learned, um, not only from working with teenagers, but now also being a mom of teen myself. Um, obviously, a very vulnerable episode for me to do because I am in the middle of it, like, and I mean in the thick of it um, for sure. And so. Um, it's definitely not an easy season. Um, it is different. So those of you who are not in this season, um, I just want to encourage you in a lot of ways it is easier. Um, but in a lot of ways, um, it's just different and it's always hard because we wear our hearts on our sleeve and we love our kids and we want to see them succeed. And so every season has its challenges, but I want to address, um, youth and teens in a way that hopefully is helpful to you. I would really encourage you guys to go back to last season, season four and listen to my interview on Gen Z, where I actually interviewed my oldest son at the time. And we had a really wonderful conversation about race, but also how he as a teenager feels in the public school system right now, especially in light of it feeling a little well, I say a little, but a lot less safe than maybe the way I grew up in school. Um, And he was very honest, very honest in that interview. Also in the Gen Z series, I interviewed Axis. Um, it is an organization. It's a Christian organization, but really wonderful. They study Gen Z um, and they um, do a great job with really giving parents the tools that they need to succeed as parents of teens. So you can download their resource on Snapchat, on um, pornography, on all kinds of things. And you don't have to download everything at once. You can just have like 2 or $3 for a download here on this resource versus other things. And they also have a newsletter that goes out that's free every week that tells you what's happening in the culture, things you need to know about, what videos are going viral. Um, It's just really, really wonderful. And they also do a summit every year where they bring in other experts that really just encourage your parenting of youth. So I would definitely recommend you go back and listen to um, my interview with Axis. I'll make sure to put both of those interviews in the show notes. Um, I think also in that series, I interviewed Alex from Young Life, also an amazing resource that I will be tapping into again here in Texas um, for a couple of reasons. Um, We definitely try to get our kids connected to a youth group, but I have um, one of my kids, um, my, my youngest that's in middle school. He's a huge extrovert. He loves people. He loves to have fun. He needs to have fun. He needs to be able to get out as much energy as possible. And I just think young life is a good fit for him. You know, my, my, intellectual older son who really likes, I mean, this kid has been an Indiana Jones fan since he was five. Like, I don't even know how that happened, but seriously, he has been Indiana Jones for Halloween more times than he's been anything else. Um, and here he's just, it turns out he's very talented in history. He's thinking about going into archeology. span And so he's very in his head. And so he loves to go to like youth group and really dive into the details of understanding history and how the Bible plays into history. But my other son is like the complete opposite of that. Like he just wants to have a good time. And so Young Life, I think, is a really good fit for him because Young Life is a lot more about reaching those kids that maybe normally wouldn't walk into the church. And they really just need to see that um, you can make good decisions, that you can um, increase your faith and have a relationship with God and still um, have fun. And I think that that's important too. So all of those resources I will link in the show notes for you guys so that you can go back and listen and get a refresher on that. 
But today, um, I really wanted to touch base on um, some of the basics of, of kind of the framework that I work from when I work with teenagers, but also when I think of my own kids, the things that I am always thinking about. Um, obviously, as a parent, I think we all need to be attentive and aware of our own personal story, how you grew up, um, the kind of childhood you had. And most of us parent out of the opposite of that, right? So whatever your experience was growing up, you go, I'm going to do it different, you know, um, I know my generation growing up, Matt and I both were latchkey kids where we kind of took care of ourselves while our parents were at work. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. That's a whole generation of us that grew up that way. Um, but we kind of worked hard and played hard and kind of raised ourselves, made our, maybe made ourselves our own lunches or dinners or whatever. And, um, and nowadays, it's just not the same. Kids aren't going outside. It's just a completely different world. And with COVID too, um, a lot of our kids have found connection with friends more so online and in video games, um, even over Zoom calls with school, more than just going outside and seeing their friends. And so it is definitely an interesting time to be alive. And I think as a parent, we have to be aware of our own upbringing and our own story. So I have to be very careful to not parent out of um, my own narrative from my childhood. Like I can't say the answer to all of your problems is for you to go outside and play outside and use your imagination. Well, these kids aren't doing that. They don't even want to ride their bikes like we we used to as latchkey kids. Um, Creativity is completely different where you can be creative in, in video game work and Minecraft and creating a whole world where for us back then it was tangible. It was Legos. It was, you know, Barbies. It was, you know, the toys in front of you that, and going into the woods that where all that creativity came from. So I think I'll be frustrated if I'm parenting out of my own story, um, even if I kind of approach it from the opposite, right? So if I say, um, I want, because I was a latchkey kid, I want to be a little bit more involved in my kid's world and parent that way. So it's all different. I have to be aware of that too, because as these kids become adolescents and they're looking to their peers more for validation, that's going to be a real internal struggle. If I feel like um, here, I wanted to be very present and wanted it to be different than when I grew up. And that's not what my kids are asking for. So um, I just think number one, no matter what your background is, no matter what your childhood story is, um, I'm not saying that it's wrong to parent out of whatever your experience was growing up, but you have to be aware of your story. You have to know your story. Um, I mean, even this morning, I was thinking about the fact that because I was that latchkey kid, I mean, I'm so thankful that my parents worked. Um, It taught me great work ethic. Um, So I don't regret that at all. But I kind of, in some ways, was always the good kid too. So I kind of raised myself and I kind of decided for myself that I wanted to do the right things when I was growing up. And so because I grew up like that, I think I, as a parent, tend to just expect my kids to just want to raise themselves to, <laughs> like, they're just going to automatically not need me as much. Um, and I have these two boys that have completely different personalities than me. And so I have to be careful and kind of be self-aware to go, okay, um, that's not their experience. My experience is was different from theirs. Um, they're going to have a different set of needs. And I need to be careful with my assumptions to not walk into the parenting situation and say, you know, 
it'd be very easy for me to go, you're being very needy. Because when I was a kid, I was a latchkey kid, right? Like I took care of my own needs. Like what's wrong with you guys, right? So being aware of that trigger and being aware that this is a different time. It's a different way. Um, Because we also want to think about that spectrum. I don't want to become the helicopter parent that meets every single need, right? And I think that's the hardest part about parenting, right? Is where's the middle? Trying to find the middle and always seeking every day what that middle is. So... Okay, so that would be my first tip is be thoughtful and be very self-aware of your own story and when you are parenting out of your own story and whether or not that's actually the right fit for the moment. Um, you guys know that I'm a huge fan of the strengths, um, of the Strength Finder. If you've not done the Strength Finder before by Gallup, I highly encourage you guys do that as parents. Um, and if your kids are old enough, they're teenagers, I would say 14 and older can take the adult version of the Strength Finder where you get to see how your kids think, how you you think, how you execute, um, whether or not you have talents of influencing, which is huge with parenting, right? Trying to convince your kids to do their chores, trying to convince them to want to do their homework, trying to influence them to not only want to play a sport, but to care about how they are engaged in that sport. Those, those take influencing strengths. I personally don't have a whole lot of influencing strengths. I have a lot of relational strengths. So when it comes to trying to convince them or sell an idea to my kids. I really struggle with that. And I get really exhausted by that, which is why I default to just do the right thing is why is this so hard? (laughs) What they really need is a coach to come in and influence them and help them see it. Right. So the strength finder could do wonders for you as parents to um, help you see where you, where your strengths are, how you can use those a little bit more often, where your weaknesses are, where you need to give yourself some grace. Um, If it comes to influencing, I pass the baton to Matt. He's got those influencing strengths so he can coach them, sell them on that idea, better vision cast in a way that I can't. And so why exhaust myself on that when um, it's not my strength and vice versa, since I I have those relational strengths. Um, I had this really, we had this wonderful, powerful moment the other day where we were trying to, um, we were kind of all in the house, just kind of at odds with each other. Um, everybody was kind of grumpy and not getting along. And, um, one of the kids was really just struggling that day and just kind of had a bad attitude and that impacted everybody. And, um, Matt just did such a great job on that day, leaning on my strengths relationally. Like, you know, what he wanted to do was kind of come in with the coach attitude and and vision cast and say, we can't like act like this. We can't think like this. And it just wasn't going to work, you know? And so instead he leaned on me and said, what do I do? And for me, I was, I kind of just took a deep breath and I said, you know, I think we need to make this a, um, a learning moment, right? My son who had been in a bad mood was now in a good mood, but the rest of us were still kind of mad that his bad mood affected all of us. It just wasn't resolved. And so we kind of just hit the pause button as a family and said, hey, we're really glad that you're in a good mood now, but we have to rewind a little bit and address the fact that your bad mood, um, you made some decisions, you said some things that really affected the rest of us. And we all don't want to feel close to you right now because um, it was really frustrating for us. And we're still kind of reacting to that. We're still feeling like, kind of upset that you kind of ruined the morning and kind of took the whole morning down the toilet. 
And so it was this great moment to pause as a family where that child who had been in a bad mood, who was now in a good mood, was able to acknowledge that he had an impact and influence the whole family. And he could take ownership for that, apologize for that, and then go, you know, and then explain why he was in bad mood. And it just righted those relationships in the home before we could all move forward and be on the same page and be in a good mood again. And that was a really good example of Matt leaning on me for the strength that I could feel the relationships in the room shifting. I could feel that like we needed to kind of close up or resolve that issue before we just kind of skipped over it and forgot about it. It was an opportunity to restore the relationships in the home. And that's my strength. So I think the strength finder is really helpful for those of you out there who just really need to know what your strengths are and embrace what your weaknesses are and try not to be all things. I'm really against this idea that you can be like like one parent or both parents at the same time, like, especially as we go into a deployment that, you know, I can't be Matt. Matt is Matt. I can't be dad. I definitely can't be a dad. My, my voice doesn't go low enough. I can't command the same sort of attention that dads do. I'm the mom and I don't want to be anything more than a mom. I think being a mom is hard enough. I don't want to be two. So I'm really against this idea of I have to be both, especially while my spouse is gone. So I would much rather just accept my strengths, accept my weaknesses, teach my kids that I have those weaknesses so that they understand when I'm flustered or frustrated that sometimes it's not them. It's just, you know, I'm having a hard time adapting today because that's not my strength. I I need a little bit more time to catch up, whatever that is. Um, So highly, highly encourage that to you guys as another resource for you guys to think about for um, for parenting and to getting to know yourself as a parent, especially as you navigate into these adolescent years. So I wanted to kind of um, developmentally share with you what's maybe going on in your teen, regardless of whether they're male or female, of some basic things that I think that parents need to remember. Number one, um, there are some kids out there, I would say usually it's the firstborn kid, that's usually the uber responsible one that kind of is always doing the right thing, that um, wants to people please. And it can be very tempting to see them as an adult because they are just um, wise beyond their years or just a good kid, right? Um, and I have one of those. Um, I was one of those. And I think that we have to be careful to remember that those kids um, are not adults yet, that they don't have an adult mind. They don't have adult emotional um intelligence yet. They don't have the social skills yet. And so we have to be cautious to not trust them with too much too soon, to not um, put too much of a burden on them to be an adult when they're not. And I think for a lot of those kids, our job as a parent is really helping them still be a kid. Um, I was talking to my son yesterday, the older one, and um and really just trying to encourage him that, that especially during COVID right now, what he's missing out on is fun. Like he should be out going to movies with friends, going to Six Flags, taking those healthy risks, experiencing that um, healthy adrenaline of taking those healthy risks. Like he should be playing as a child and COVID is not allowing that for right now. And so developmentally, I'm seeing some of that impact in him. He's bored. I mean, even though he's very much in his head and he loves 
all these facts and he loves um, to read and he loves all of that intellectual side of things. He, he's the kid that I have to push out there to have fun and experience experience his childhood. If he doesn't, he's going to grow up too fast. And so that's really tough right now during COVID. And so um, just remember that your kids, regardless of their personality, are not fully developed yet. In fact, the frontal cortex of their brain um, does not develop until about age 26. And that frontal cortex of their brain is in charge of future thinking. So in other words, they may know that they have, let's say, a test next Friday. Maybe they even put that on their calendar. A lot of them struggle to even do that because the frontal cortex doesn't even allow them to really think much into the future. And so they struggle with being organized in that way. Um, But this is a different kind of future thinking, like they can't play the tape all the way out, as I say, or they can't play the story all the way out. They can't think about how they're going to feel next week when things get better, right? Or they may go, in thinking of COVID, they may go, it's going to, it feels like it's going to be forever this way. And I know we're struggling with that as parents too, but our frontal cortex is developed. We as parents can go, you know, I think actually by next year, something is going to be different with COVID. It can't stay like this forever. Our brains can do that. Their brains can't necessarily. They have a really hard time picturing it, imagining it, planning on it. And so when they find themselves discouraged or alone or um, frustrated or struggling at school, um, they kind of just don't see an end in sight. Um, they need the help thinking through, like sometimes being able to say, you just need a good night's sleep and then you're going to feel better tomorrow because they can't think about tomorrow that they're going to feel better after that good night's sleep. They can't imagine that. Or that next semester is going to be different from this semester. Logically, they may be able to know that, but cognitively and comprehensively, they're going to struggle with thinking into the future. So just be aware of that um, as you parent, that a lot of times our, our parenting Um, parenting these teenagers is really helping them think forward, imagine forward. And the fun of that is you get to see their brains literally um, make those connections in real time right in front of you as you're walking them through that. And if you think of it from that perspective, it's kind of fun. Socially, um, I always describe, you know, when I used to work with teens um, and I used to talk with parents, I used to describe like the metaphor of elementary school is this this time when um, kids are, yes, playing with each other, but their self-esteem and their view of self really is um, them looking up at their parents. And it's almost like their parents are holding this mirror down to them. And they the reflection that they see is what their parents think of them. And that's what a lot of those elementary school years are. Um Then you get into middle school and that metaphor changes. And it's almost like in middle school, they start to kind of lift their head and look around and go, oh, wow, there's actually people around me. And there's actually other kids around me. And those kids have opinions. And I'm not sure what I think about that, you know? And so maybe it's a best friend over here or a circle over here that they start kind of, yes, they're still looking to you as a parent for that reflection, but they're starting to look around them and go, wow, you know, some of my friends are holding those mirrors too. Like, and so that's when you start seeing they want to wear the same outfit that somebody's wearing because that gets them that acceptance or they want to dress like that person or they start trying to figure out who they are just a little bit. 
Well, once they get into high school, I want you to picture um, your child is in this circle surrounded by their peers and all of those peers from different circles in the school are holding up mirrors. And so now what you have is they're really looking to their peers for their identity, for their self-worth, for um, their opinion of themselves, and really what their friends and peers think of them is what they will think of themselves. And we would hope that once they get to college and become those adults, that those, um, those mirrors start to change and they realize that those friends don't necessarily carry their worth, right? They have to start owning that themselves. But um, if we're talking about adolescence today, it's important for you to think about the fact that your kids are looking to those peers. And so as I'm recording this, um, COVID is still going on and schools are still kind of crazy. I mean, people wearing masks where you can't even see the full expression of someone behind a mask, um, the expression on their face. And so it's making it very difficult for kids to look to their peers for that um, reflection of their self-worth if they are only barely making eye contact. Um, To add to that, my oldest son described his last high school to me where he was really, we had just moved to Leavenworth. And yes, we had a fantastic experience in Leavenworth with the school systems. But um, as far as the culture of kids goes, um, he was still struggling to make some friends in the school. But a lot of it was because um, nobody was talking to each other. Like walking down the hallway, everybody was on their phones. Nobody was looking up. Nobody looked at each other in their eyes. And so Um, Even if he tried to connect with somebody, relate to somebody, um, nobody was ever like literally looking up. And that's a whole new challenge that a lot of us as adults don't. um, Yes, we're seeing it in the world, but we're not as affected by it because we weren't raised in that. And so, you know, so not only do we have kids that are needing to look to their peers for that self-worth and for that identity, um, that's getting really hard when people are wearing masks or just staring at their phones, right? So it just makes you wonder, and I would encourage you to go to your kids and have the discussion around the dinner table. How then do you know if you're accepted by your friends? How then do you know um, what your identity is? What are the cues that you're reading from friends? Is it that they're not looking up? That's the cue. Is it um, the you know the laugh or not getting a laugh when you tell a joke? Um, that would be a really serious question. I would encourage you to ask your kids because I don't even know the answer to that. What are kids doing as far as giving off those social cues? My guess is some of it is over social media. Um, girls tend to lean towards most more social media than boys do. Um, Perhaps boys are getting that from sports. Um, Don't even get me started on sports, guys. Like sports is like over the top as far as just the amount of pressure is unbelievable right now for sports across the board. Um, I love it. I'm thankful for it. Developmentally, our kids need it. Um, Developmentally, my kids need it. Think it's a valuable thing for them to get energy out, um, to understand teamwork and all of that. But the pressure, um, especially I want to say for our service culture, you know, those of us who are moving around all the time, it's very true that military kids struggle with developmentally trying to gain the skills that they need in those sports for long enough that they can jump into that sport and feel like they can be at the same level or a similar level or an accepted level compared to a kid who hasn't moved at all, who's been in one place who's been playing that sport since they were five. Um, The struggle is real on that. So I'm not going to go on that soapbox because I'll go on for a while. Um, But just know um, 
like the pressure, um, the, and not just the pressure for sports guys. I would even say the pressure for getting into college, um, not just the sports, but colleges now expect a certain number of volunteer hours in the community. Um, they're expecting not just good grades, but are they a good citizen? You know, and how do you encourage your kid to be a good citizen? And I would caution a lot of us military out there who, you know, we create our own professions. A lot of times there's a lot of entrepreneurship in the military spouse culture. And so I would just be careful with that because if, if we're not careful, we'll like launch a nonprofit through our kid, you know, because how else am I going to get involved in the community? There's lots of ways to get involved in the community. We don't have to start it all ourselves. Um, But the pressure is real for colleges, um, just evaluating kids across the board, not just their grades. And and so checking the amount of boxes that you have to check nowadays to have your kid get into school is just interesting for sure. Okay. So now that we kind of know some of those basics of things that you guys need to know just about how your kids develop over time and some of those... um, really crucial things that kids need in order to develop. Um, I want us to talk a little bit, um, a couple of tools. You've heard me talk about Maslow's Ladder. You know, I'm I'm sorry to kind of um, continue on the soapbox of, of Maslow's Ladder, but it just is so powerful that I want to continue to use it as something that you can kind of keep building on and thinking about in a new way, um, even when it comes to parenting. So um, I did an episode way back, probably in the first season where I kind of unpacked Maslow's Ladder and how it impacts our lives as adults. If you were part of Mill Spouse Fest this past week, I, I taught on it from a different angle as far as how COVID has impacted that and how do we motivate ourselves to climb the ladder a little bit more. And I very briefly touched on um, how it impacts our kids. And so um This is actually where Maslow's Ladder came to life for me was when I was working with teenagers and I saw it so clearly in our teenagers that I knew um, that I wanted to talk about it in today's episode too. So I won't dive into all the details of that. I would just have you reference back those other episodes. But just really quickly, it's a developmental theory of we all are striving to find fulfillment, peace, um, purpose, and um, contentedness in our life. But Maslow was a theorist who basically said we have all these other needs that we can't reach that contented con- um yeah, contented place or that place of peace or fulfillment until we meet these other needs first, because those other needs are so big. And so he calls it um, Maslow's ladder or Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And so of course, the bottom rung is those physiological needs. Like, do we have water, food, shelter, sleep, roof over our head, warmth, all of that. Um, So when you're PCSing, right, you're not thinking about your kids' grades. You're thinking about, do they have a decent place to sleep, right? Um, the next rung of the ladder is safety and security. And this was like the the big aha for me on Maslow's Ladder that sold me on it, at least for my own life and for kids and also for the military culture, that that second rung, that second need of needing security and safety 
was not so much about physical safety, like um, are you physically safe, although it does reference that. It's actually talking about um, security and routine and structure and order in your life and certainty. And we definitely don't have a lot of that, not only in the military culture, but also in our world right now. There's not a whole lot of certainty at all. My, you know, my oldest son in high school is on a day on day off schedule, and that's only for the first four weeks. And then if there's no COVID cases, they might go to school full time, but we still don't know that there's not certainty. And so it creates that anxiety of how do you make plans until you know what's happening? So we all have this need for certainty and your kids need that too. The next rung of the ladder is love and belonging. Love and belonging is huge for kids, just like I last referenced when we're, we have our kids looking to their peers for their identity and for their self-worth. They need a people group to be feel, to feel like they belong. They need a people group to belong to. They need to know where they belong. They need to know if they're loved by their peers. They need to be a part of other um, kids' lives, whether that's a youth group or a sport, um, a circle in the school, drama club, whatever that looks like, the neighborhood circle, whatever that looks like, your kids need to know where they belong. And so past love and belonging comes esteem. Now, um, esteem needs covers everything from achievement, competence, feeling like um, feeling good about yourself, feeling like you're achieving something, feeling like you know what you're good at. And so this is about the place where parents would bring their teens to me and say, my, my child is struggling, their grades are plummeting, they're not doing well in school. And this is where I would pull out Maslow's ladder and go, okay, well, let's look at all these needs. Do they have all their basic needs met? Are they getting a good night's sleep, right? If they're not sleeping at all, if their phones are in their room, rooms, if um, TV is going on in their rooms and they're not getting a good sleep, they're not going to do well in school, right? So physiological, are, are their needs met? Then safety and security, is there order and structure and routine and certainty, at least in the home? You know, I know anytime the home feels chaotic to me, the first thing that I want to do as a parent is find the order. Like, how do I create a little bit more order in our world um, to create that certainty again, right? So whether you've just PCS or if it's just getting back to school or whatever's going on in your home, taking a look at, um, is there order? Do they feel like they have certainty in their life or is, is the home chaotic, um, where there's no routine, there's no rules, there's no structure to the day. doesn't mean that we swing the pendulum and, and go to a place where it's rigid and overly structured. Um, sometimes the need for certainty is about giving them a voice where they feel certain that they have that voice, um, and that they have have a little bit of influence in their world. For example, I give my teens the opportunity to negotiate their chores. We try out chores for a week or two, and if they're completely unhappy with their chores, they know that they can come to me and say, hey, I have been unloading the dishwasher for like what feels like years. Like, can I have a different chore for a change? Sure. What would you like to trade instead? Um, we recently traded where it was like one of them, you know, on off, like you load one day, you unload the next day. And they negotiated that. And if they're ever unhappy, they can come back and negotiate again. Um, certain video games that they've wanted to play. If it's, um, if it's something that I might find questionable or, um, they just know that they, bring that and they give me all the information, they do all the research, then I double check it. But 
they have this, hopefully, this feeling of certainty that they have the ability to change and influence their life and the home, and they have a part to play in that. So um, it doesn't necessarily mean that you overly structure and, and overly order your teenager's world for them. It's a combination of both. How do they blend together? Um, And then of course, you know, as far as a kid's grades going downhill, their esteem being low, their confidence being low. After I look at that structure and certainty, my next question is, is do they feel like they belong somewhere? And this is where I usually see for teenagers, this is where it's going wrong. This is where the teenager is struggling. They don't feel like um, they're belonging in a certain circle at school, or maybe the circle they always have belonged in. They're having a lot of drama in that circle. Um, For a lot of our new kids that they don't have a place to plug in. And this is where I'd want you guys to be creative. Like if they're struggling with certain circles in the school, um, first of all, I would encourage you as parents to encourage your kids that they don't have to only be in one circle at school. In fact, the most successful, most confident kids and teenagers believe that they don't have to be shoved into one circle. And that's just kind of like the school social rules that are set up by their peers, um, like kind of subconsciously that you're in one circle, right? Like if you're in sports, you're a jock. If you're in drama, you're a drama nerd. If you are the super smart kid, you're the, the academic nerd. Like they, all they know is to categorize people and put them in certain circles. But the most confident and most successful teenagers know that they get to decide which circles they can be in. But it takes a lot of courage for them to try to insert themselves in those other circles and try to succeed in those other circles. So I used to encourage my teen girls that I was working with, I would make it a game. You may have heard me reference this on the podcast before where I'd make it a game where I would say, okay, here's what we're going to do just for the next week. I want you to walk down the hallway and I don't care who, like if it's a different circle that you never talk to anybody, especially for the girls, I would say compliment. like three people a day and they have to be three totally different people in each day. Like you can't repeat another person. And I want you to compliment and it can be just something really small. Like I love your backpack and keep walking. Don't wait for a response. Don't look back for a response. Just keep walking down the hallway and just say, Hey, I love, I love your shoes today. Those are awesome. Keep walking. And the whole idea is here is that your teen is breaking the rules, those social rules of you stay in your circle and I'll stay in mine. And you can't talk to me unless you're in my circle. And what that does is it helps the the teenager determine for themselves who they want to talk to and who they don't want to talk to. And almost every teen girl that I did this experiment with by the end of the week had secured at least three new friends. Some of them had a totally different group to sit with at lunch. Like it, and some of them got compliments back. Like it just really surprised them that they thought that these people were mean and that they would never talk to them. And it really just turned out that people love nice people and it's amazing. So I try to encourage my sons to do the same thing when they enter into a new school, like just be the nice one. You decide what circles you are a part of. And yes, you can't be a football player unless you're playing football, right? But it doesn't mean that you can't acknowledge a football player, that you can't say hi to somebody, or that was a great game last night or whatever, right? So it teaches them that they have ownership um, a little bit or play a part in where they belong. And they can, because that's what we do as adults too, right? In the adult world, we have to put ourselves out there. We have to insert ourselves into the circles where we need to find community. And that's teaching those kids to do that too. 
So all that to say, if your child is struggling with their confidence and their self-esteem, well, if they don't feel like they have a place where they belong, I'm not going to be able to help you get your grades up if we haven't met that need before that. If they're really struggling at school, find ways for them to plug into the community. You can find circles outside of school, places to volunteer um, where they can find um, other kids with similar hobbies and find their place of belonging with that too. So um, just be mindful of that. Um, Maslow's Ladder is is just so helpful, at least for me as a parent, to be able to think about my kids and where they are, what they need. And it helps me order um, each step along the way of how am I going to encourage my kid to climb that ladder to get them into that next place and to lower my expectations that they may not be able to be where I want them to be because they're on a lower rung of the ladder and I need to be patient with that. So I will also, um, attach to this, um, episode, put an image of Maslow's ladder in there where you guys can reference it as well. Okay. So the last thing that I want to cover today, um, and this is going to be hard for you guys to visualize. I hope it's going to work, but it kind of ties all this together. I want to give you guys actually a tool that a communication tool that, um, I found was really powerful in working with teenagers, um, to help them form that, um, frontal cortex part of their brain and help them think into the future and also helps them actually communicate what's going on with within them when they don't have the words. And I think that's the biggest thing with teens is that they don't know what they're feeling. They don't know how to express it. They don't have enough words just yet. And um, this tool is really, I found very powerful in helping kids in real time start to form their brain. And it's a really cool thing to watch. So um, I actually had this as a mat on my floor um, that I used in my counseling office. And it was literally like this map that um, a mat that you could walk on and it had these different sections. And so I would have the teen, you know, step into whatever category and then they would kind of talk on that category wherever they were stepping on the mat. And so you can draw this out and just do this at the table if you want to, Um just to give credit, it was um, couples communication that developed this couples communication um, map for couples to use, but I actually used it for teenagers and, and saw it was really powerful. So I, what, what I want you to envision is almost like a pie chart. So a circle that have these different categories like a pie chart, and there's these different categories of communication. And the goal here is to not communicate in a specific order, okay? The goal is that you that you communicate in each category as best as you can. So um, the let's just kind of cover the categories first. First of all, there are the facts, okay? These are, this category, this piece of the pie are the facts um, of what's actually going on, like past, present, future, right, of the facts. So for example, the teen might say, all right, so the facts are, there is a girl in my class who said something mean to me yesterday and my feelings are hurt and I have to see her tomorrow. Okay. That's the facts. So that's the first category. What are, and that's usually a good place to start. What are the facts? What's happening? Um, the second category is senses. So your five senses, and this is where you pull from sensory information and you unpack that information a little bit more. So you kind of step into this category of senses. So the facts are, um, my friend yesterday said something hurtful, um, and I have to see her tomorrow. The senses are, 
when she said something hurtful, I heard it with my ears. Um, I saw the look on her face. Um, I saw her look down at my shoes because she was making fun of my shoes and it made me feel, feel, feel self-conscious. Um, and I physically wanted to run out of the room. So you're covering your senses. Okay. So first category is facts. Second is senses. Now we go to thoughts. Okay. So the next category is thoughts. And I'm going to put in there the fourth category is actually emotions. Okay. So there's one category that's thoughts and there's a separate category that's your emotions. And this is like super amazing, even in marriage communication, but especially with kids to help all of us um, embrace the fact that thoughts are different from emotions. And we have to learn how to pull those apart. And this is where you kind of see um, the teenager kind of going back and forth between these categories, trying to figure out, is that a thought or is that emotion? Is that a thought or is that an emotion? So for example, my thoughts might be, I feel really anxious about seeing my friend tomorrow. But anxious is also a feeling, right? So I feel worried about that, or I feel scared about what she might say, or going back to thoughts, this has happened before. Maybe that's a fact. We go back over to fact, right? But my anxiety, and I'm remembering that um, this has happened before, I'm going to lose a friend. And those are my thoughts. And then my feelings about that, going back to emotions, my feelings about that are that I'm scared and I'm nervous and um, it makes me angry too because I've lost friends in the past and I don't want to lose this friend too. And what she said made me feel hurt and insecure. And this is where a great place to bring out a feelings chart, by the way. I love the feelings wheel to be able to identify those feelings so that my feelings are not only scared, but I'm angry that she would have said something so hurtful, right? So you can see as we're trying to communicate what happened in this teen girl's hypothetical experience, um, we might be bouncing all over the place as we're talking through what happened, right? We're going from emotions back to facts, back to sensory information, back to your thoughts again, back to your emotions. And so it it kind of takes you out of trying to talk in an order and more so learn to just communicate more completely, if that makes sense. So then you go into this really, really wonderful section. It's my favorite section of the map when working with teenagers that once we've talked through the facts, the senses, the thoughts, the emotions, um, then we get into this really beautiful place of wants. And this is where it's so powerful, guys, because remember, their frontal cortex isn't developed yet, right? So they have a very difficult time thinking into the future. So most of the time, they're looping in those other categories because they're so focused on their present feelings and thoughts and anxiety that they're not quite um, able to think into the future of what they actually want to see happen. So the wants category is actually broken down into like, so think of a piece of the pie, but it's kind of that one piece is broken into three sections, right? So as far as wants go, um, we think about what do I want for me? What do I want for you? And what do I want for us? And so when you get your teen to start thinking about what they want for them, what they want for this other person, and that what do they want for the relationship, it actually forces them to think into the future and actually forces them to think about what can they do about it. So thinking about this teen girl for her to be able to go into, all right, what do I want for me is I don't want to lose a friend. What I want for her is for her to say she's sorry, right? And for her to... um want to still be my friend too. What I want for us is for us to get through yesterday and still have our friendship. 
right? And so then I have that um, that teenager then to kind of take a step back and go, okay, wow, look what you just did. You figured out what you want to have happen now. And by the way, I, as the adult, didn't figure it out for them. They did it on their own. And you just saw their brain make all these really cool connections, right? So the, it usually surprises the teenager too. They're like, oh yeah, that is what I want. So now we can kind of take a step back. I usually ask them to take a step off the mat and I take a step back and I go, now let's do that again. But now we're going to practice what you're going to say to your friend tomorrow using the same categories, right? So now instead of you telling me about it, now we're going to pretend that you're telling your friend about it and it doesn't have to be super wordy. We can actually practice it a couple times until we get our words down and it's really short, right? Because it could be super wordy if we're not careful. But the goal would be for this teen girl to be able to go up to her friend tomorrow and go, hey, when you said that yesterday, it really hurt my feelings and it made me feel like really insecure and that I, I, that I might lose you as a friend because I felt so insecure and I felt hurt by that. But what I want is to not lose you as a friend. What I want is for you to care about our friendship too. And I wonder how you feel about that. Like, wow, that's like adult level emotional IQ, right? So it's a very powerful way to help your kids communicate and figure out their words. They're very capable. And now, no, I can't promise that that other girl at school is going to be just as emotionally intelligent and, and just as good of a communicator. But I have definitely increased the confidence of the teen girl that I have worked with in order to walk in and have that conversation. And maybe I've even role-played what's going to happen if she doesn't respond well. What's going to happen if she does respond well? How are we going to handle that, right? What are we going to walk away believing about ourselves, right? Because the truth of the matter is that friend that hurt your feelings isn't holding a mirror. Like the, the reflection that you see in that mirror isn't entirely accurate. You get to decide whether or not you feel good about the shoes that you wore, feel good about how you handled that situation and whether or not you want to have a relationship with that person, right? So it's a huge growth opportunity. And if you're hearing this and going, man, that's exhausting. That is parenting teens. Welcome to adulting with teenagers, guys. It is exhausting. And it, um, relationally call something on us as parents that is um, extremely um, gut-wrenching and it rewrites us, like it forces us to take a look at ourselves. It, I know for me on a daily basis makes me slow down and um, try to be my best version for them and not give them just the answers and instead help them find their own answers. Like it is hard. And I think it's hard because we're already doing that hopefully in our marriages much less trying to do it with our kids too. And so it's almost like we're adding these, you know, other adult or becoming adult relationships in the home and we're navigating drama and relational hurt and forgiveness and grace and people's perspectives and different personalities now all in the home. And that can be exhausting. But I want to encourage you that it also can be incredibly rewarding um, that you don't have to be perfect at this. In fact, I think most of the time parenting teenagers is about making mistakes, owning those mistakes, um, maybe explaining what was going on in you when you made that mistake and um, and asking you for 
forgiveness yourself, asking for perspective and feedback. How can I parent you better? How can I handle that better? Um, who can I be for you? What do you need from me? Uh, how can I win? How can I set you up for a win? And that takes an incredible growth. I think the last thing that I want to just encourage you guys on, and again, this is vulnerable for me too, because I'm not perfect at this. I'm on the struggle bus when it comes to parenting teens, for sure. I have failed a lot, even in the last month, in my own fatigue, in my own um, just, you know, the COVID and moving and all the adapting that it's required of me. I have not personally been at my best in the last month, even parenting or in self-care or even in my marriage. And so I think we need to be graceful with ourselves here, but I just want to encourage you guys that um, if you are parenting, especially teens right now that are dealing with um, almost so much uncertainty and chaos that they're just not doing well, I'm hearing that across the board. Kids are kind of like staying in their rooms because they're not doing well at school or they're tired of the Zoom calls. And um, I'm just hearing across the board, families aren't doing well. And so I just want to encourage you guys, do the best that you can. Be the best version of yourself that you can be. Um, but definitely, I'm I'm taking my own medicine here that self-care is crucial. If I'm not doing well, my I'm definitely not going to do well with my kids or my marriage. And so there are times that you have to take care of yourself and put um, the mask on yourself first, the oxygen mask on yourself first. And that has never been truer than now. So um, it is not selfish and it's not wrong and it's not prideful for you guys to do that self-care and teach your kids that self-care too, um, and then show up and try to do your best. Make sure that you are also looking at Maslow's Ladder and making sure your needs are met. Do you have a Do you have community? Do you have safe friends? Do you have truth being spoken into your life? Do you have certainty and routine and structure in your life? How can you implement those things just a little bit more? Are you doing something that brings you joy? I know that that's something that I'm really reevaluating in my life right now. What is bringing me joy? And if I don't have enough things in my life that's bringing me joy, then I need to start letting go of the things that are robbing me of joy. And that is um, also very crucial right now because um, life is more stressful than ever. And um, I might need to increase the number of things that bring me joy and decrease the number of things that take energy from me. And um, now that I'm 43 and will be 44 in January, um, it is true when you get to your 40s, you really get to this place where it's less about making other people happy and more about doing what you know is right. So Hopefully you take that word of encouragement um, and also that truth um, to heart and can maybe make some good decisions in your life. I hope that this um, episode was helpful for you. I hope that you will be able to take some of this to encourage your kids. Um, I encourage you to go back and listen to this episode and take notes and draw out the images that I was kind of describing to you so that you can use it maybe then the next week in your own communication with your marriage or with your kids. Um, I do have a bonus episode that's coming out. I had the opportunity to interview Anthony O'Neill from Dave Ramsey, from the Dave Ramsey speaking team. And he is addressing um, 
when it comes to like kids and college and saving up for that and not going into debt and some of the um, encouragement that he's offering our, our youth and our college students of today on how they can walk into that perspective in a smart way, in a responsible way. And so I'm going to share that bonus episode with you guys. Um, it's a wonderful episode. It's going to be a shorter episode than my um, than they are usually. But I think you're going to love what he has to say. It's a powerful story. He also was a military kid, so I think you'll love that too. Um, so be on the lookout for that bonus episode as it's coming out. Thanks so much guys for listening. Um, We are nearing the end of season five, which is where I usually take a break and there's going to be more information about that to come. But thank you guys for listening. Thank you for sharing the episode with other people. Um, I really appreciate you guys. I really appreciate how hard you're working to keep your families together and healthy. And with that, thanks for joining me and stay well and healthy out there. Thank you for listening to the Life Giver Podcast. If you're enjoying these episodes, please share the podcast with other service couples that may benefit from the show. If you're feeling especially grateful, head on over to patreon.com forward slash life giver or find the link in today's show notes where for just a couple of dollars, you can help breathe life into more service families. If you'd like more information about me or Life Giver, head on over to coreyweathers.com or life-giver.org.